In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the True Life Podcast. We are here with Dr. Anne Marie, a beautiful person that cares about the world, and uh, she's got quite a background. I thought the best way to introduce you, Dr. Anne Marie, would be for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, so much to say, but <laughs> I'll mm -hmm. keep it. I'll keep it short. Uh, thank you for having me here. Really appreciate it. Um, I love what you're doing, so um, it is an honor to be here. Um, yes, yeah, so I am a doctor. I am a medical doctor. I graduated from med school, but I currently am practicing at a sort of as a certified clinical hypnotherapist. Um, I love the power of the mind, and I like helping others understand the power of their mind. Um, I really gravitated to this. After being in traditional medicine, um, I would say that the whole traditional route just was not aligned with who I am <laughs> and what I what I went through. And so that's the best basic intro I can give mm -hmm. on who I am. Yeah, I agree. I think that so many of us, you know, we come to the spot in our life, some of us earlier, some of us later, and we realize that maybe the life we're living was a life that is not the life that we want to live. And it seems to me that there's a lot of struggle there for people and it tends to be the very foundation in which people make that wrong turn. As a, as a clinician and as a doctor, when you see different patients and do you think that the patients you see are a symptom of the sickness that kind of plagues our society? <laughs> um, they're definitely the, re the result of, mm -hmm. of, of what society has placed upon them, right? For sure. It, because we, we feel that this is how we should live because nobody else handed us another uh, template in a sense of how to live life because there's no other template. There's no, everybody is simply unique. And I think that was the biggest struggle for me is accepting my own authenticity of who I am. Like, what do I feel that is right for me? 
and even leaving traditional medicine was hugely challenging because <laughs> I um, was fighting that. Like, this is what it means to heal someone. This is what it looks like in order to be a healer or <laughs> to save someone is you have to write a prescription and hand it to them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was even that conditioning of how I'm supposed to live that I had to fight against to be like, no, this just doesn't feel right, you know? It, and I know that. And there's, and, and that's what I had to listen to say, okay, this is my truth. Like, I thrive when I'm talking about this stuff. It comes too naturally to me to deny it. And no matter how many people would even say like, oh my God, you wasted your years. How could you go to med school? And now you're doing this. Like I heard it all. <laughs> and I'm like, no, like this, this just feels right. And I'm the only one that's living my, my life and nobody has handed me anything else that felt better. So this is my template. <laughs> that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It, I, I have seen, you know, I'm a big believer in patterns and you can see different patterns in people. And I think that the best way to see patterns in people or the world is to understand the patterns of your lifestyle. And one pattern that I see in people that always want to help people is that they have gone through something traumatic and came out of it. And now they have understood, oh my gosh, I'm so much better now. Like I, I feel, not that I'm a better person, but I feel so much better about myself. And it's that realization of, it seems to me maybe something for you is, there was probably so much pressure on you once you were in med school to finish. The world is on your shoulders like you're going to be a doctor. You've committed to this. Now, what's wrong with you going to quit now? Now you're a quitter. And it seems to me that the fact that you found the courage to change after so much that now you're able to go and help people. Can you maybe just maybe flesh out a little bit more about how you the struggle that took place internally for you to move from med school for such a commitment into what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the pattern was the struggle. So you're 100% on it. I, lo I love the pattern. And being able to recognize the pattern is is the awareness. Like if we can recognize that this is a pattern, then we can fix it because we can't fix something that we're not aware of. I was completely unaware of my thoughts, right, of that critical voice that was in my head telling me, um, you know, it was always about proving myself that I am worthy, that I am acceptable. And I think even pursuing med medicine be was the start of that because from my past, I was, you know, in foster care, I was in, you know, abandoned, essentially, I was even a high school dropout. So that whole, that whole of need to prove myself that I am good enough was the pursuit of medical school. And even that I still was trying to prove that I am good enough no matter how much I went through, it was still like, am I worthy of this? And it was that inner dialogue, which was the pattern that, you know, I was telling myself that I wasn't even aware of, that I had these internal beliefs created from my past, that, you know, I wasn't worthy, I wasn't good enough, that, um, you know, I need to do this to be accepted by society, mm. or to be accepted, period. So, you know, throughout med school, I I became aware of that inner dialogue very much. And that's when I discovered meditation because <laughs> I was like, wow, uh, sitting with myself is like really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I, like listening to this voice, is, I have this voice that is just so mean. And it was that pattern that once I became aware, I was like, okay, enough is enough. I need to just quiet it, number one, become aware of it. And then I was like, where did this come from? 
And then that realization that it came from my experiences and relationships was like the aha moment. Like, oh, so what people told me became my story, which became my pattern. And now I'm repeating it, you know, in my reality by even withdrawing from situations or even opportunities. You know, I would shy away from things because I felt like I was not good enough. <laughs> so talking about patterns. Um I hope I answered that question, though. <laughs> oh, you answered it beautifully. I, 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 sometimes I think that we are so unaware of the patterns of relationships, and they start at such a young age. You know, mm -hmm. for when you're a child. You know, I recently read an article that talked about mirror neurons, and I, I was unaware of these. Mirror neurons are these. If if my daughter Sky, who's a beautiful young woman, and I'm so proud of her, I can't help but say that. So when you have a child, your child is born with a particular set of mirror neurons. It's much like, you know, I'm going to try not to bird walk too far, but I try to go on tangents. You, for everybody <laughs> listening, Dr. Anne-Marie has an unbelievable podcast called Rapid Realization. And in one of her podcasts, she talks about the law of correspondence. And as she gets deep into that podcast, she talks about how people split the atom and the two parts of the atoms you can, you can, they become in a superposition. So one part moves here and one part moves over there. Okay, so yeah. think about the same thing for mirror neurons. I have neurons in my mind, and my daughter has them in her mind. So she, as as the, let's just say it turns to the right or counterclockwise, when she sees it, it's turning the same way. So we're connecting on almost a telepathic level. And she can read my ability. She can read my thoughts. Even with the looks of my face or my if I wink at her or I smile, she's picking up certain cues that were meant directly from me to her. And I think it's those from the smallest level of relationships, we are learning about ourselves and how to act that is on a genetic level that our parents taught us. And so bringing it back full circle, I think you answered the question beautiful because our understanding of ourselves and lives begin at the most earliest relationship. And you have, an, if you would be so kind, as this story is a little personal, but I, I think it's beautiful and I think it's worth telling. Can you, can you maybe cover the story about when you were adopted by your foster parents and, and you have a story about some other girls that were your foster sisters. Would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm an open book. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've done the work, so I've definitely, um, you know, I have, and that's why I'm here to do is share. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, well, number one, that was my realization of, of like wanting to help people. Um, you know, the, being being in a foster home, um, you see situations and experiences or you see other children that go through these experiences. And there was just this type of an awareness that I had at, at that age, like that that there was there there's other people that have these paths and they're they're I I, I don't want to say at that time I was comparing. I was like, wow, I'm so fortunate. Like like there is a, a sense of gratitude that yes, I went through my experience. I am in this home with these children, but I'm still very fortunate. And I I felt like I had abilities to help those children at that time. You know, that that they were younger than me. They were their their story <laughs> behind why they were in the home was surrounding abuse. And, you know, I was not physically abused. I was neglected. And that was my traumas. Um and so I even internalized that and I was like, wow, what can I do to help these children? You know, and that was the start of me wanting to pursue 
um, helping people. That was the realization that I want to, I want to help people. And I became quite good at it, like of just like connecting with people. Um, I hope I answered that, that question, but, and in regards to, um, you know, my, my, I became emancipated. So I, after leaving the home, I, at 16, I was pretty much on my own. I, you know, got my first apartment um, and I dropped out of high school and, you know, I just, I had to work. <laughs> so yeah. I had to work. Um, but I still had to like drive deep down. Like I can create my life. I, I became very aware at an early age that like, okay, I can create my life. And um, that doesn't need to be who I am. Um, and so I, I, I decided to go get my, get my GED and become, you know, go to, go to, go to college. And, and that became very, I became very profoundly aware that, okay, I can manifest what I want to manifest. I can create my reality. Um, I hope I'm kind of circling around on that circle. It's perfect. The, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I almost cut you off there. I apologize. Uh, so, so, you know, I mean, all those experiences um, were, you know, traumatic. If you look at them, sometimes it's even hard for me to say now that they're traumatic because it's like I don't see them as traumas anymore. You know, they're like my perspective has completely changed, and that's why I love what I do, hypnotherapy, is because you know, I created these new pathways in my mind to be able to perceive that experience very differently now. So even talking about it, you know, I'm sitting here smiling about it. And, you know, I've talked about the, about my story to people and, you know, I've had people cry and they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. Like the way that I perceive it is I needed to go through that to be able to clear away my beliefs that I created about myself, you know, to go on this journey, um, you know, because, you know, during that time, and even even still today, like I'm I'm human, you know, I'm and I I have beliefs that are pressed upon me, but I'm very aware about them now. You know, then I wasn't aware of them <laughs> so, to help. So, yeah, uh, I think like that, that particular statement just makes me find you so beautiful. Like it, oh, it shows you. me where you're at. And I, I think a lot of people, myself included, what what i if i could get people if i could give people one gift i would tell them that like the worst trauma you go through is the best gift you can ever have and it's mm -hmm. so hard it's so difficult to understand why people are like you know like my wife and i had our first son die and it was it was so tragic and it was so heartbreaking however our child taught us more in a day than I've learned in my lifetime. But it takes so long to get there, whether you're abused, molested, you've had somebody close to you die. Like what people don't understand is that trauma is a gift from the planet. That trauma is a gift from God, from Buddha, from all. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. And the reason is, is because something, whatever you believe in as a power, if it's Gaia, the world or God, that power believes you. It's chose you. It says you are strong enough to handle this. And I want, I chose this to happen to you. And I'm sorry. It's going to be horrible and you're going to hate it. But you're strong enough to get through it. And when you get through it, I want you to come out the other side and teach people how to get through it. And if you can yeah. begin thinking about that, like it's, it makes you cry. You go from tears of sadness to tears of joy. And that yeah. space that was ripped from your heart, that person, that idea, whatever was ripped from you, there's a cavernous hole there. 
But soon, if you believe and you understand, you begin to see something grow there that's bigger and stronger. And it just, it grows within you and takes over you. And it starts coming out and it's like, it's just this amount of love. And you start looking back at the Bible where Abraham was told to sacrifice his son. And you start looking at the Aztecs who maybe metaphorically, you know, lost people or sacrificed people. I, I believe it's this sacrifice. There can be no salvation without sacrifice. And we all need salvation. And it comes from sacrifice. And you don't literally have to sacrifice people you love, but you do have to sacrifice your old life. You must die to your old life to become the potential. And that's the whole idea of Christianity being born again. And it comes through trauma. And so yeah. when you told that story about the trauma that you had, it's like you told the story of your rebirth. And, and look at you now. Now you're, you're going out and you're helping people and you're spreading this message. And, you know, I, I believe people can see it. And so it's kind of a great segue into inner dialogue. Now, doing what you do, helping people, are there some techniques that you use to help people? It doesn't have to be inner dialogue, but I've heard you say that before. And so I was just curious if you could speak upon that and maybe some techniques that you use that you see are common in people that, that they think they could benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I have to say, you know, you sharing is, it's, it's amazing. You made me think of a lot, a lot of, a lot of things I, I would love to bring, bring to the of table. Of course, in please, to that. please. Um, I wrote a note cause I'm like, I really want to talk about inner dialogue, but um, I do want to pick up on something you said in regards okay. to, you know, what you, what you experienced and, and us coming into this, coming into this, this life and having these traumas. And for me, I believe we hundred percent have chose it. And that's really hard for people to hear is that they chose this experience. And it's because we do have a life between lives and we do have the spirit essence of us, this energy essence. That's why, you know, even, even, you know, quantum physics, our science cannot prove things <laughs> because there yeah. is this energy force in the background, you know, it's like those, this atom being split and then, you know, doing something to it, it moves. And then this other part of the atom, which is like four miles away, does the same exact thing that there's this energy and we are part of this energy too. That is not here in this physical ex experience. So we have our, our soul's purpose and, you know, we chose to come into the life to have experience and, and the death of, the, of a child is one of the most, honestly, I would say is one of the biggest lessons. And I have to say, wow, <laughs> because, you know, that is something that from my school of thought that, that, um, that that child even chose to give you that lesson. That, that child came here and was like, I want to give you this lesson. <laughs> you know, um, and I believe that's all of relationships, right? That we always yeah. meet people and we have a lesson to learn from them, from experience, you know, even if it's a failed marriage or, or, or a lost partner or whatever it is, there is there is an, a, a contract basically that is an agreement for us to come together to have this lesson that we're going to learn in this life experience, you know, so that's, that's definitely something I, I love talking about. So I had to throw that out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but in regards to inner dialogue, um, inner, inner dialogue is, you know, I mean, Oh, there's so much inner dialogue, right? We all have awareness of that. And that is, one of the biggest inner dialogues that most people are aware of is that critical mind, the the critical the critical mind that's talking to us. And how I like to explain is we have we have many parts that make up who we are. You know, to be able to 
simplify it. We have so many egos that were developed from our upbringing. And those parts can come through in that inner dialogue, right? And we also have these amazing, beautiful, wise aspects that come through, like higher self, <laughs> that can come through in an inner dialogue. And of course, the inner dialogue that is not the one that most people want to get rid of is the negative inner dialogue, right? And so the negative self-talk. And so in, in regards to techniques on how to help with any dialogue that is negative, that isn't serving us is I would say, encourage the positive dialogue, you know, switch and become aware of the higher self dialogue, maybe, or the wise aspects that is saying, this is not your truth. And that's a bit challenging for people when they're first getting into this like healing space of like, even just number one, you have to become aware of this dialogue. And, you know, I just did a talk the other day that someone's like, Oh, I get really frustrated when I try to calm myself down. And I'm like, well, it's basically like two parts. You know, you have this part that is really sad. And then you have a part that is really frustrated that and the frustrated part is trying to help the sad part. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't really help. It's like blindly the blind. Right. We need to we need to create resources for ourselves and create a positive voice in, in our mind. Um you know, sometimes I serve as that positive voice. I'm sure you serve as that positive <laughs> voice. And, you know, sometimes my clients will be like, you're like that good angel on my shoulder. Talking to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Change the voice. That's you. <laughs> that is you. I'm just I'm just kind of like handing you some tools that someone handed me. You know, yeah. I'm I am no different. I am nobody special. I'm, I'm human. You know, we are all special. We all have a part in this world. And so we all have the ability to learn these resources and help ourselves. So that's that's for inner dialogue. I would say, you know, become aware of it is number one. If you're not sitting in, in silence and just becoming aware that you even have this, these voices and and start to, you know, create a positive voice a more positive voice that is going to help you through this if you're not working with someone to help you with with your inner dialogue. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's the tip on inner dialogue. Dr. Henry, I, th I, th I hope you like you should start a school for children where you talk about inner dialogue, like even even like a set of podcasts. I, I think that that should be an integral part of a childhood education. Like that's as, a, that's as important as English, as math, right? Like Imagine yeah. how many people we could save from drudgery if in, you know, K through five, they had 15 minutes of inner dialogue class. It'd be amazing, yeah, right? I 100% agree with you. I mean, that's why I'm so in love with the podcast realm now. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've loved listening to podcasts and, and learning, you know, from other people and, and the ability for this to reach out to people across the world, you know, that don't have the educational resources is kind of like, I think this is us stepping into that realm of helping to just share something that is, you know, everybody does is, is deserving of receiving, you know, education, knowledge, you know, I, I, I love that we are in this time that, that allows us to have these platforms and technology, but there's some places that are still struggling to receive that. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that, you know, now children are getting access to this stuff because they can freely search for it too. Um, I, I believe that we're we're moving in that direction. That's my optimism. <laughs> no, I, I think it's true. And, and you know, I think not only is it your optimism, but it's your foresight. 
you know, if, if we take a, an honest look at what's happening in the world, the old world is dying all around us. And there's a lot of people in positions of authority that that maybe had gotten there because they took the older path, which is it took a lot of money to go to college. It took some student loans. And a lot of people say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And there's a lot of people that have filled these positions. And now because the Internet has been like a grand equalizer, there is people that used to be truck drivers that dropped out of med school that are now being able to pursue a passion and want to help people. And they're, be, they're being able to shine through and, and to reach people instead of maybe someone that was, you know, much like you had chosen the path of med school. Some people may have chosen a path a long time ago and never decided to leave, but now they feel stuck. And so I think what we're seeing is a great leveling of the playing field. And even though there's so much trauma with, with the pandemic and the world around us, I believe a new world is being born. And may I share a story with you about what I think is going on? Oh, please do. <laughs> okay. This is the way that I think is a really good way to look at what's happening. So imagine a beautiful, imagine we live in this beautiful community and there is a giant tree in this community. And it's just the surrounding is as beautiful as you can think. This tree is, it's a hundred feet tall and it's just provides shade and it's a beautiful canopy. And all of us, we gain our life force from this tree, this sustenance, our feeling of well-being. We gain our daily bread from this tree. And once every hundred years, a flower blooms. So depending on when you're born, we have a similar life. Some people, most people live for 80 years. So depending on when you're born, you maybe maybe you're born when the flower is just beginning to bloom and the fragrance is beautiful and it, it just invigorates you and everybody worships the, the flower on this tree. But then 70 years go by and this flower begins to wilt and its edges get brown. And maybe you're born when the flower falls. And imagine if you were born when the flower was if you were born when the flower was blooming. Imagine all your memories, all your love. Everything is tied to this flower, and that flower falls off the tree. Everybody panics. Oh, no, we're all going to die. We're not going to have our daily bread. This is it. This is horrible. And people lose their mind. And people are crying, and, and your parents and your grandparents are like, this, it's dead. We're all going to die. But then somebody notices a new bud. A new flower starts to form. And it's going to be bigger and better and greater and smell more insane and better for everybody when this new flower buds. And some people see the flower budding, but other people are too caught up and they all they worship the flower on the ground. But there's this new one being born. And I think that that's where we are as a society. There's a new flower blooming. It's going to be bigger. It's going to smell better. It's going to be better for everybody. But it doesn't mean we can't discount the beauty of the last flower. Because a lot of people have their life tied to that last flower. And that's what I mean when I say the old world is dying. But there's a new one being born. And I think it's a incumbent upon people like us to spread the word of the new flower. That almost sounds like a cult, the new, spread the word <laughs> of the new flower. But, <laughs> but I know, I've been I working I on that. I love that metaphor. No, I, <laughs> I love that metaphor. It's a beautiful metaphor. And, Thank you. You know, it's, it's a hard one for some to even swallow, you know. Right. To, to, to it, it that that there is a cycle you know there is a there is a cycle and and um right now like even with this pandemic it is it is a cycle you know and we we are heading into a new cycle absolutely i 100 percent agree with you on on that metaphor mm -hmm. um and and it's going to be it's all about perspective too and and what 
how you want to see that, that if it's something that's going to be beautiful <laughs> or something that's not going to be beautiful. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I want to see the beauty in the flower, you know, uh, is it dying or living, <laughs> you know, no matter how, how I see it. Um, because in the end, even though I don't want to use that word, there is no end. It's just, it's, it's a constant growing, you know, it just like that flower falling will now nourish the roots, you know, yep. it, it, it is a constant cycle and pattern of rebirth and, and growth. It's an expansion of life. And, and that's what we're doing. We're expanding and we're creating different realities or perspectives and experiences. And it depends on, you know, um, what you, how you want to live and how you choose, you know, do you want to be on, on this perspective where it, it's all bad and evil <laughs> or do you want to be on this perspective where there is no evil, you know, there, it's just, it's just life. It just is. It's just here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I think it's amazing how, and I think it was in your podcast uh, correspondence when you talked about, um, how people see things in other people and they can choose to see the negative or they can choose to see the positive, but either way they're seeing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, um, can you flesh that out a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the law of correspondence, it, it, it really centers around like the mirror that everything is your mirror. And you know, what is law of correspondence is that what is within is, is without, it is on the outside as well. And that, you know, what is, what it so is above is below. And that is like, in another way of saying this, this is like the, the hologram, <laughs> you know, everything is holographically being replicated because we are coming from one source. We are coming from one. And so your reality and experience is a reflection of you. And that's really hard for people to swallow when, you know, their experiences is not not fun. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> but there's a huge space of growth within that to be able to see that. It's kind of like what I like to say is like, you know, you when you change your perspective of how you see your world, your physical reality will sh sh slowly shift. Um, and if we have reactions, negative reactions to something, we have to check like, you know, an example I've given is like, you know, someone cutting us off, you know, and, and, you know, I live in Florida, so the traffic here is not bad, not the greatest mm. <laughs> in South Florida. And it's like someone cutting you off and you immediately being like, oh, you beep, 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 and like cursing at them and just like flicking your finger and getting really mad. But at that moment, have you not ever cut someone off too? <laughs> like, like, haven't you not ever like been in a rush, been in a hurry, um, not be aware of other people or courteous of other people? And I'm, I'm going to guarantee you the answer is yes. And if you're going to say no, then we're rejecting a part of us. And that's the shadow part. You know, we're rejecting a part of us. So if we can see all the experience around us is kind of projecting something back to us. So my reaction of anger is projecting back to me that I have a, I have anger in me. <laughs> like it's not what they did that made me anger, angry. I created that in a sense reaction, you know, it's, it's the button and, and there's a trigger there. So what do we want to do? We want to eliminate that. So in order to eliminate our maybe negative sides or reactions, we have to then react differently. So then the environment doesn't matter what happens in the environment. I will respond in a, in a more harmonious way. And therefore then the reality will slowly shift to a new vibration of harmony. 
and people won't cut you off as much. And if they do, you won't be bothered. <laughs> yeah. So the law of correspondence is just looking at life. And, you know, there's many ways, like I'm big about talking about trying to like bring different things together because there's so many ways of healing and helping ourselves. So like the law of correspondence can be like the shadow work, you know, people have known of shadow work. So this is like shadow work. Like you're looking at the dark side because in everything, there is a duality. There is a polarity. There is positive and negative. We cannot have ex existence right now. If we did not have that dark side, that bad side, that is law of correspondence. It is the positive and the negative, the up and the down. And if that was not in existence, we would not have life. We would not be here because we all came from one. And so when, when you become aware of that, all healing modalities is just trying to get us back to that one, that, that, that singularity of existence, that remembrance of who we are, our essence. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, I couldn't say it any better. I, you know, the pattern is everywhere. Like if you, if you listen to music, you hear these different sounds, but what makes the music happen is the silence in between the sounds. Right, that makes the pattern. If you look at canyons and valleys, like everything is a pattern and it's all a process. And I, I think that that is one part that's going to be a big part of our future. And that is us seeing ourselves as a pattern instead of as an individual. And I, I really think that there is this new understanding happening. Like kids today are smarter than maybe that's not the right word kids today live in a different world than we grew up in or our parents grew up in and thus they are subject to different stimuli and you know if 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 we can agree that that we are part of nature and we can agree that we can learn from nature that we could possibly also agree that the history of nature is our history and we can see things changing. We can see how it's going to go. We can, we can at least have confidence that there's a process. And so that process I think is, is, is going to evolve from the religions that we know as individuals to a religion of something like we're a process. I don't have it fully fleshed out yet, but this idea of us as a process it helps people to understand that it's an ongoing process. It helps people to understand that the things you see in other people is a process you see in yourself. And I, I, I just think it, it, I think it helps people understand who they are when they look at themselves as a process. And here's a great way to look at it. I think I've got it here. Have you ever heard about the ship of Theseus? No. Okay. So this is a, this is a uh, mental exercise that we can do. Imagine a giant ship and it's all made of wood, right? It's got the wood mast. It's got everything is made of wood and it's a giant ship. And in the cabin underneath the deck, we have enough oak wine barrels to replace every part of the ship. And as we're on our journey, the ship begins to rot. So the sail goes bad. So we throw away the sail and we go downstairs and we take one of these pieces of oak and we build a new sail. And as we keep going, the ship deteriorates and we keep replacing the old wood with the new wood from the barrels. By the time we reach our destination, we have completely got rid of the old ship and now it's made out of the new barrels that we used. Is that the same ship that we set sail in? What do you think? Yeah, I love your metaphors, man. <laughs> I love them. And, and actually, the ship is us. The ship, yeah, I mean, we, okay, let's talk science. 
every nice. cell in our body changes and every seven years you know they say seven to ten years you are a completely different human because every cell in your body is changing even the lenses on your eye are not the same lenses that you've seen life through just two three years ago because they are they are replicating and changing your lenses on your eyes are dying off and being changed to new ones it's like the hair on my head you know is going to you know if i cut it shorter then you know the then my hair will be completely new just in a short, like, you know, four months. And that, that is us. We are constantly changing. We are constantly replicating and evolving and expanding and, you know, and, and energy is not created or destroyed. So it's not, it's not something to look at as if it's like, oh, it's gone, you know, and, and, and a sad thing. It's not, it's just part of the process that you, you know, the part of the process of, of allowing that change to take place and to go into that, you know, to allow us to follow that vibration or um, harmony, you know, like I'm, I love like sacred geometry. I think, yeah. I think you've heard of it, like where it's like sure. everything has a perfect pattern, and that is the music. You know, it is it is the vibration, the up and the down, the this this pattern of existence, and and the your ship metaphor is exactly <laughs> us. <laughs> we are. Yeah, it is. Evolving and changing. Yeah, there's there's a there's there's another one that's very similar than I and I think it um it, it just we should just pound it home. So imagine a whirlpool. Have you ever seen a whirlpool before? Right. So a whirlpool yeah, yeah, yeah. is just it's just this <laughs> swirling mass, right? And it there there used to be one by a creek by my house. It was always there. It was always there. And if you see a whirlpool, it's normally always there. But the water inside the whirlpool is different. Right, the water comes into the whirlpool and then it goes out. But the whirlpool, the form, is there. And I think that the reason we're pounding this so hard, be it science, be it Theseus's ship or a waterfall, is that people have a difficult time of letting go of their past. And if they can understand that they're the form, and hey, that happened to them, but you can't change that, and that was necessary. So, you know, I once heard that the the depression is being trapped in the past and anxiety is being trapped in the future. And that's if you just live now, like you're, Hey, right now you're the form of the whirlpool. Yeah. That water that came before us, dirty water, but it's gone. You can't change that. So don't hold on to it because you can't hold that water anyway. It's already gone. And so many of us get caught up in like, Oh my gosh, this big stick came through my waterfall. Oh no. You know, or it came through my whirlpool. Yep. And it needed to happen. It had to change something. Don't worry. You'll figure out why later. But I think that so many people I see that are struggling it's because they're holding on to something that's not their burden to carry. And it's they need someone like you to sit down with them and just say, hey, just let that go, you know, and, and you let that go. Yeah. I, I really think you're I really think you're an educator in so many ways. And since we're on the topic of education, what can you maybe if you were to form a school or if you were to what are some things you think could help children right now? going forward with this whole distance learning and what mm -hmm. just, I'll just, I'll just the shotgun out the back door, throwing all the stuff out there. I know there's a lot of things, but with learning today, kids wearing masks, like what do you think are some of the issues that our children are going to have, have in the future? I mean, Oh boy, children, children are work. Children are living more in that meditative hypnotic you know, trance. They are so wide open. They're they are fully in their subconscious mind. There's, you know, they're creating the inner dialogue <laughs> at that moment. So they're like little sponges, right? Picking everything up. And so they're definitely feeling a lot. And 
experiencing a lot and the uncertainty of, you know, change and feeling even with their parents or their caregivers around them. So, I mean, if, if I could change anything right now, I, I would say we got to change. <laughs> we, you know, the, 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 man, I've talked to a teacher and it's just not easy, like the parameters and they're dealing with stress, but the children feel that. Right. And so I, I, I'm huge on silence, like, you know, learning how to just be silent, to be aware, to gain awareness of our emotions. Children learn how to block, right. Their emotions because nobody's guiding them on how to listen to their emotions. They don't understand emotions. So let's just simply teach them about emotions and and tell them, hey, this is completely normal. You know, my <laughs> I have a nephew, my youngest nephew, who is um who is uh, 10 now. And um, this was when he was like six years old, though. And, you know, he, we were at a beach and he was crying and, you know, just not in a good mood. I don't even remember exactly why. And, you know, I was I was like, don't worry, it will pass. It will pass. You know, these emotions, don't worry. He's like, no, I'm going to be like this forever. Because when you're in that feeling, they, you believe that it's like permanent, you know, it's, it feels like such permanency. And, you know, sure enough, it didn't last forever. We got on a kayak and we were out on the boat. We were out on the water. He was having a great time. He's laughing and giggling. And, you know, in that moment, he was so present. He was so in that moment because children are in the moment. They are more in the moment. But I wanted to kind of bring him back to the past just to be able to realize the transition and that there is change and that things do change and that emotions are not permanent so that he becomes aware of that. So that the next time it comes, he would realize that these are more emotions. They're normal. They're going to pass. And so I said to him, hey, remember like 10, 15 minutes ago, you were crying. You don't feel sad anymore, right? And I just wanted to gain awareness. No, I'm having a great time. I'm like, I know. You see, emotions are normal. They go up, they go down, but we don't need to react. They're not permanent. Even emotions are not permanent. And, and allow that flow of life to come forward, that change of, of emotions to come forward. So that's the one thing that I definitely would you know, encourage us to lead, you know, our children in, in understanding us, we are the, we are the authority figures that they're looking up at and learning how to behave in life. And they're picking it up. So like, whenever I have someone call me and they're like, Hey, can you see my kid? Da, 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 da. Or, you know, I, if I'm seeing the parent, I'm like, Hey, just work on yourself really more, a lot more. <laughs> like I'm happy yeah. to see them, but you're the one that's going to have the biggest influence. And so the more you are, because they're feeling you. So the more you're aware and allowing your emotions and educating them and, and influencing them, the better they're going to be. You, you know, our teachers, our our parents, our policemen, our doctors. Oh man, like, <laughs> even doctors. I'm like, sit down and meditate. I don't know. <laughs> be yeah. aware of your emotions because they're not even aware of their emotions. You know, and so. Long answer, but that's that's something I definitely would help just becoming aware, <laughs> awareness. Yeah, it's interesting. And it, it, there's something I've been, I've been wanting to ask you. So on the idea of hypnosis, I once heard that um, in order to get someone in a state of hypnosis, it helps to have them focus on one of their senses. Is that true? It depends on the mind. Um, but yes, absolutely. It's meditation. Hypnosis is like meditation. And the only the only thing different is that 
you know, I like to say hypnosis is like meditation on steroids. We're getting you into a very, very deep place. Um, and the brain waves at that state of hypnosis is called theta. And the theta brain waves are the same exact, exact brain waves that we have when we're in REM sleep, which is rejuvenating. And also in children before the age of 12, you're just in a very open learning state for you to take in suggestions. So that's all hypnosis is. It's not me controlling you. It's all you just being very open. And so if focusing on one thing helps the thinking mind to calm down, because we have two minds, we have the conscious mind, which is the thinking mind. And then we have the subconscious mind, which is the feeling body. It's the emotions. It's the, it's the intuition that comes through. And so the focusing aspect of hypnosis on maybe one thing is maybe to help kind of quiet that inner dialogue that may be distracting you away from um, from, uh, from connecting with that subconscious mind, which is the emotion. The, the, we're not trained to, I would say, you know, in the last 10 years, it's been huge shifts in this whole self, self-healing world or self-discovery and, you know, bringing like, you know, a Eastern philosophy to the Western society, you know, and there's huge shifts and we're very much like left-brained, very analytical, linear, and now we're kind of shifting more to that more esoteric and feeling, and that is right-brained, mm. the creativity. And so we're, we're, we're shifting more to that way. And that like hypnosis just connects you with that part of the brain, basically. It connects you more with this, this bigger part of who we are. We the thinking mind is only 10% of who we are. We're our thoughts, you know, that's you, you're 90%, you know, these feelings, these emotions, these um, intuitions, it's more of who you are. These neurons all through your body are communicating. You know, we think that the voice is the only communication. There's a lot more communication going on in our body. We just have to learn how to listen to it. And so hypnosis is kind of that process of helping people listen to this part of the mind, the subconscious mind. Yeah, that's, it's, there's so much there. And in a way, you know, it seems to me that I'm trying to tie it together with education in that, like, you think about hypnosis and, you know, I believe some people can use, there's, there's multiple techniques. You could use the cadence of your voice to go and do what you think is possible to get people, you know, you can, there's certain techniques you can use. And I think I've read some areas that are like TV is so powerful. Like talk about taking a medium and not even having to think about it. Like I'm going to put an image in your head. There it is. Think about that. I don't want you to think about it. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan who's one of my favorite philosophers. He gets into this and he says that there's hot and cold mediums. A hot medium is something that does the thinking for you like television. Like that's why when people watch TV, they just, they just veg out and it gets right in their head. If you read a book, you are responsible for coming up with that mental image. It forces you to think. When you mm -hmm. listen to radio, you are supposed to come up with the image. And because TV is such a powerful medium, social media, television, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, all these visual mediums are being thrust upon us today. And when we take these visual mediums with social media and we begin covering people's faces with masks, I think that it can, I'm not saying it always does, but it can put kids at a disadvantage because there's so much that happens here. When I see you smile, when I would see my wife 
shoot me a sly smile. I'm like, oh my God, I think she likes me, you know? And <laughs> so much flirting and so much stuff happens right here. And like the eyes match the mouth. And it's so difficult to detect sarcasm and cynicism and, and playfulness when we can't see here. And yep. that, it bothers me to think, and I'm not blaming anybody for it, but it bothers me to think that our children or, yeah, because they're all our children, right? They're, our children are being subjected or neglected maybe and not being able to learn this, especially it's like if you're a child is between the ages of one and five and they have to wear a mask all day, we're denying them the ability to communicate. And like that, that worries me for the future. It worries me for the divide. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I kind of got into this conversation the other day regarding the mask, you know, and some people are liking the mask because it's hiding a part of themselves that they're self-conscious about, right? So there's like, also yep. there's, you know, there's some people that like it and some people that don't. So it's also becoming a projection of some of people's insecurities about themselves. But in regards to children, you know, I mean, <laughs> my opinion about this, you know, uh, I believe we're definitely going through a shift. And, you know, um, for children, I, 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 I would like, we're doing it more for people to feel comfortable, right? And, and, you know, I would hope that we have um, we start to be more open to allow us to choose what makes us comfortable or not. And if you're not comfortable with me not wearing my mask, then okay, you can, you know, go away. It is, I, I do believe in our, in our choices, you know, allowing us to have choice. Um, and, you know, when it comes to children, <sighs> they don't really have much choice, right? <laughs> they don't have much choice what they, what they can or cannot do. Um, so I would say like, we just have to educate them and make sure they understand, you know, that we're, we, we are primarily wearing the mask. We may feel safe and comfortable, but maybe someone else doesn't feel safe and comfortable. And, you know, so I guess that's kind of, kind of where I'm at in regards to regards to that. I don't have my own children that are little, little, little. So <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I may, my perspective may be a bit differently in regards to if I did have a child there and, you know, you're, you know, they're not understanding though. They're, they're not fully understanding the, the why they're just kind of going through it in my opinion. Um, but we have to have them not be shamed because that's another thing that you're seeing is people are shaming each other for, you know, for doing something or not doing something, even the vaccinations and, um, people are being shamed and it's making them feel evil or bad and we're segregating and we're separating mm. and that is what I'm not all for. I'm not for the separation. I'm for, I'm, I'm more for unity and acceptance and just openness because we're all part of each other. And so if we say, you know, the, again, it's the evil, the good and the evil, the up and the down, it goes back to the law of correspondence, the bad, the good, there is none. It's all the same. You need to have one without the other. So if, you know, we, we can't segregate ourselves even from the choice that we make regarding vaccinations or wearing a mask. So I guess that's where I am authentically with that. Like I, I, you know, I believe there needs to be a choice and there needs to be some acceptance. And if, if that isn't an uncomfortable acceptance for you, then you have to see what is controllable for you, controlling the controllables, you know, controlling what you can control. You can choose how you react. You can choose where you stand and you can move. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Kind of where I'm at with, with that. <laughs> it's a, it's a great answer. It's a really good answer. And I, you know, it, 
I think there's something to be said about, I think there's a lot of things to be said about culture. But I recently took a class on cultures of the world. And I am trying not to be, but I have been the ugly American so much it's ridiculous, you know? And it's, it's because we don't understand the world in which other people were raised. When I moved to Hawaii, this is going to sound so ignorant, but we're all about sharing, right? So when I first moved, yeah, I, I grew up in in uh, Southern California, and it it was not a there wasn't a whole lot of diversity, you know. There was a, there was a lot of white people and, and and you know Mexican people and some Asian people and and, and there was a, there was a melting pot, but it it was mostly white people. So when I moved to Hawaii. There is so many different Asian cultures, you know, there's Hawaiian cultures and Samoan cultures. And what's ignorant for me is like, I could not, it's going to sound so horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. I <laughs> the could fact not tell that you're the worried difference. about it just shows how much you care. So. Okay, good. Thank you. I, 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 I couldn't, one time my, my boss says, I, uh, I delivered a package and my, I, he goes, who did you deliver that package to? I'm like, oh, it was an Asian guy. And he goes, was he Japanese or Filipino? And I went. I don't know. I can't, I can't tell the difference. And he was so offended. Oh, oh my God. You, what are you? And he like, I could just see the look of disgust on his face. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so dumb. I'm so, you know, but ultimately what happened later, there's another white guy that works in my building. And he asked me, hey, are you guys related? And I said, ah, it's not just me. It's not just me. It's you. It's all of us. You know? I mean, you, so, don't, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And it, it, it lit a fire under me to understand more about it. And as I began learning about different cultures, I learned that it wasn't just my ignorance from not from where I was born, but you know, different cultures speak different languages. And some people have a tonal language. My wife is Laotian and her, na her native language is Lao. And so it's a tonal language. And so it's almost a song. So I could say the same word and accent a different part of that word. And it means something totally different. So the inflection in my voice means different things to different cultures. As Americans, we tend to be louder. We tend to be direct. We have a lot of eye contact. And if you speak to somebody in an Asian culture, these, are, these can be offensive. They're not, not that they are, but they can be. And the person could be like, why are you yelling at me? Oh, I'm not. I'm just talking how I am. But, but to them, it's a different culture. There's a different respect. You know, personal space, that's something, depending on how dense your population is, you know, you might be this close to somebody and that might be normal. But for us, it's like we're going to be in a fight in a minute, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so, right, like, hey, get out of my space. Yeah. What are you doing? And the guy's like, what? Yeah. I'm just trying to buy. What? Well, you don't like me being right here? Like, no, I don't get here. You know, yeah. but, but that also comes down to cultural norms. Those are cultural norms. So some people think that the most respectful thing you can do is wear a mask. Hey, you're sick. Put a mask on. How dare you? How dare you breathe that? And so yeah. I think part of the problem in our conversation that we're not talking about is the way different cultures think about things. And that seems to be taboo because it tends to be divisive. Because once yeah. we say we shouldn't do this, now we have to talk about why this culture is better than that culture. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, and people, which gets me to the question I want to ask you, <laughs> what is the difference between diversity and inequality? What do you think is the difference there? Diversity. And inequality. For me, they're not the same. You know, um, it's perspective. For me, diversity is uniqueness. 
it's, you know, words are very powerful. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm checking in with how I interpret this word. So someone may interpret it differently, but for me, diversity is, is uniqueness. And when you get to a place of seeing things from an energetic aspect, uh, there is no diversity. <laughs> we are all just unique and that we all are very different energetically, but we're all connected to this one thing. And, but inequality is the rejection of that diversity for me. So inequality is that rejection of diversity. That's how I would perceive it is that my perspective is, um, you know, I obviously like I'm, I come from a very diverse family, a very unique family that is very multicultural. Like, you know, my mother's part Japanese, my father's Bulgarian. Um, you know, uh, he speaks very loud. It sounds like he's always mad. <laughs> and, you know, my mother doesn't, you know, the whole looking in the eyes, I get it. You know, there, there's a submissive, like looking down, you don't look at people in the eyes. It's seen as a territorial type of thing. And, um, you know, and, and in my family, like we're very mixed and even my partner is Jamaican. So it's, a, I'm mid from a very diverse, you know, and, and there's, you know, inequality, it's real. Like I, there is, and it's, it, it's, it, it does he heavy on my heart to, to see that because people cannot have this beautiful perspective of, of, of um, uniqueness that we are all just part of the same thing, but we just have our unique expression and our human form is an unique, unique expression, no matter what color it is, no matter what uh, culture it comes from, no matter, you know, how we dress, it is a unique perspective. And that's the diversity, which is everybody, you know, people can look at me and be like, you know, I, you're a complete hippie. <laughs> you're very diverse, especially if you were in the middle of like, you know, um, let's say I was in the middle of Harlem. Trust me, I'm very diverse there. I'm very <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, it's all about perspective. Um, so inequality. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's a social conditioning, right? The inequality is, is a social conditioning. We want to be accepted. You know, we want to be in, in groups. That's how we feel accepted. There's inequality in religion. There's inequality in in schools. There's inequality in gender. There's inequality in everything, and that is the lack of acceptance of something, and that's very unfortunate. Um, it is the reality, and you know, I, I would hope that the more people start to see that we're all very connected in the same way, energetically, <laughs> we are all the same atoms. We are all made up of the same atom. We all have the same blood, same vessels, same heart. You know, the arc our foundations are all the same and you know then there would not be any inequality <laughs> we are all <laughs> unique in this flow of life <laughs> that is such a great answer i'm so glad you answered that question i've i've posed that question to a lot of different people and you're the first person to to answer it that way it's, it's beautiful and oh, i enjoy you. it thank you for doing it yeah i think i, I wish people could understand that we're all unequal you know, there's things that you don't have and other people, there's always going to be people better than you. There's always going to be people worse than you. But once you begin even going down that road, you've taken the wrong path. You know, it's, it's, how can I, how can I, what can I do to make my life better? I think, you know, but it's, it's just, it's so hard. It is, it is. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still there, you know, every, every, even within my business, you know, I'm, I'm, there's this like comparison and, and, mm. and it's a surrendering. There's this like surrendering of just needing to let go and just be who I am. Um, and, and not, and see my uniqueness of who I am and not feel 
unimportant or more important. I just am, you know, and that's, that's one of my biggest like epiphanies in, in life is that I am not more than or less than I am them, you know, I am equal to I am the same. And that's the inequality that maybe we're unable to recognize that creates the inequality of unable to see that we are all just perfect how we are in our existence right here, you know, and that doesn't make me less than or greater than it just makes me me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no matter what you're doing, and it doesn't need to come through. But there's so many social conditionings, right? So many social conditionings. Like you said, social media, everything around us is telling us that there is this specific way of doing things, even the specific way I need to look, you know, with um, social media, it's huge of being of being like, okay, this is what a relationship needs to look like. You know, even a relationship. This is what being a father needs to look like. This is what being a mother needs to look like. This is what being a sister needs to look like. This is what being a hypnotherapist needs to look like. This is what this needs to be look looks like. You know, there's so many conditionings around us all the time. You know, I have um, we have these commercials down here uh, for a chain of um, uh, a grocery store chain, and they're always their commercials is always the family sitting around the dinner table and eating. And it is and that commercial alone is just telling us she all my client always is like, the commercials condition me on exactly how my family needs to look like. And I'm like, yeah, that's not reality, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not, especially during holidays, we are kind of bickering, getting annoyed, fighting with each other. You know, family is, is however you want to define it needs to look like. There's no one way. There's no perfection. There's no such thing as perfect because nothing is replicable. Nothing, 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 nothing. You have two twins. Has anybody ever met two twins that are exactly the same? I don't think so. Like their personalities are so different. Yeah, maybe they may look similar and they have the perfect genetics, but they are very different because they cannot have the same perception, the same experience. They cannot be in space and time at the same exact time or, or whatever matter in, in the spatial aspect. But so that means their, their perception is going to be different. So they're unique and that's why their person, personality will be unique. And so there's nothing, perfection means replicable that there is an actual definition that something is perfect. There's no such thing. Not even my phone, my desk, nothing in, in physical reality is perfect because even the cells that make up it, I guarantee you there's cells within it that have broken off, fallen off, or changed. Everything is, there's nothing that's changing because everything's moving too, right? Every cell, every atom in life is constantly moving and shifting. So that means it cannot be exactly the same. So there's no such thing as perfection. So when you realize that, then you'll realize that even society is not telling me the perfect way of living because there's no such thing as perfect because nothing is replicable. Nothing is, there's no such thing. Yeah, so. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100%. It's, um, it, it reminds me of like, I, I believe that we can learn so much just by watching nature and the patterns of nature. And, oh, greed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, Love so, it. so, so think about the way, um, like uh, in a neutron or in, in a, I'm going to butcher this probably, but in the <laughs> smallest molecules, you have like neurons or atoms spinning around neurons the same way that the planets rotate on their axis, the same way that the planets rotate around the sun, the same way that our solar system spins around the galaxy and the same way that the galaxy spins around the universe, right? But it doesn't really spin, it, it corkscrews. And that's why they say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So you can look back to the past to find answers to the future. And in 
I got a shameless plug right here. In this brilliant new book by George Monty, it's called The Terror Before the Sacred. It kind of looks like this right here. I saw so, it. I did see it. I saw it okay. on there on Amazon. I'm so stoked. Good and so you. thank you. Thank you. I give this metaphor in in this in my book, and it's about living in a snail shell. So imagine taking a nautilus shell or a snail shell, and you do you cut a cross section, and now you're looking into the snail shell, right? And it looks like a spiral. I don't know if you can see this. And if yeah. you were to cut a snail shell in half, you would see a series of repeating repetitive patterns getting bigger and bigger and bigger, like this chambers, different chambers, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, when a snail is born, it's born with the first chapter, the first little piece of that snail shell. And as it grows and eats its calcium-rich diet, it grows another chamber, and it repeats on top of it. And that is a lot like our daily routine. The chances are your routine may be different than mine, but you have one. For me, I wake up at 5. I come downstairs. I make breakfast for my wife and my daughter, take my daughter to school, go to work, work my 12 hours, come back home, kiss my wife, take a shower, go to bed, wake up in the morning. And I do it again and again, day after day, month after month year after year. And it's the same series of repeating patterns as the snail shell grows. So this is a pattern in nature. It's the same pattern you see with the way that water flows, like water flow takes the path of list resistance, whether it's a teardrop or runoff from a storm drain. And so if we can see that there's these patterns that happen on the macro, we can learn how those patterns are and we can apply them to our life. Like if I want to change I should be studying the way in which water flows down from a glacier. Then I can see, oh, I see the water pools right here. And it, if, if you could personify water and, and you were that water drop, you go, oh, no, I'm stuck. I'm never going to come over this edge. <laughs> but you yeah. need to be reinforced from the source. And you can tell by looking at the patterns on the jagged rock that it is going to overflow. It just needs to be reinforced, reinvigorated from the source. It needs that 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 depth, that torrent of water to come and help it push it over the edge. And I think that's where we are as a society right now. We're, we're in this swirling little pool because we're caught. And I think mm -hmm. that we can use rites of passage and ceremonies and we can use these forms, these, like we talked about the whirlpool as a form, we can use these forms to transform our society and help us achieve our path to the bottom down there. And so it, it just got me thinking about that when you were when you were talking about, you know, how that's, that, that was kind of my setup between diversity yeah, and, yeah. and, um, and there. Yeah. I mean, it's the uh, Fibonacci, right? Yes, <laughs> you, exactly. So, it's, it's I so love, true. Yeah. I love that. I, I, your explanation is beautiful and really spot on. So I can't wait to read your book. I can't uh, wait to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think um, everybody can benefit from it because it, it, it it's not, it's not about color or gender or orientation. It's about, hey, this is us. This <laughs> yeah. is the, pro we're a process. And if we work together, we're going to get through it so much faster. And there's so many knuckleheads that think that, 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 they think that they are the source, but they're just the vehicle that the source is coming from. Yes. And if people can realize that, like, look, we're, we're all the vehicle. And that, that particular form of government, that particular form of religion, these forms that we've had with us for so long, they were great. They worked, but now it's time for a new form. And that's what we're exactly. building. And that's, that's what like you are doing with your helping people and understanding and, 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 yeah. and moving forward on that. And so yeah, I, I guess my, <laughs> we, we have, have to evolve, evolve. and grow, to, right? Yeah. 
you know, it blows my mind too. I just, I spoke with professor emeritus from Duke university, Dr. Alan Buchanan. He wrote a book called the um, evolution of morality. And he oh, speaks about yeah. got, the guy is brilliant. You know, I, I, I wish I could talk to him more. Uh, <laughs> he, he went on to talk about some of the problems with, with morality and he likened it to Darwinism. But then it got me thinking, like, if Darwin is wrong about the conscious mind, what else is Darwin wrong about? You know, like probably everything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy to say, yeah. but probably everything. And you that's know, I, okay. I mean, I do think those those explorers uh, at that at the time that they were trying to come up with uh, a theory or a determination right. was based on limited limited resources, right? It's kind of like looking right. at the stars without a telescope. Um, you know, I think right now we're at a point where we're come, we have more bigger and better telescopes <laughs> that are allowing us to see more farther in the distance. And, um, so yeah, I, a hundred percent agree with that. So <laughs> 100%. I think it explains a lot of what's happening in our world. Cause imagine if you grew up on these ideas, you know, we talked about how if you were given something as a child, you take that into relationships you have. What if you were given this education and you've known it for a hundred years? You, you, it's difficult to maintain the neuroplasticity as you move through later in life. And so once you become calcified, once it becomes hardened, you can't even see the forest through the trees. It's like, nope, this is what you're a big dummy. That's it's Darwin is it's this, but we're changing. And it doesn't mean that those people have to be dumb or they have to be wrong. It's just that it's different. And I, I think people are so caught up in this black and white. Well, if I'm wrong, what else does that mean? What else am I wrong on? And so people don't want to give that up. Have you seen some of that in society and in some of the people you talk to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's I mean, it's a belief. It's the only way it's the only, only thing that they know the the idea of wrong or right. And, um, you know, whatever is wrong or right is just based on what two people agree upon. It's like the currency system. The only reason why we have a currency system is because, you know, two people said, okay, this is what we're going to exchange in order to create value. So, you know, all of the United States says this piece of paper is worth something. And that's why it's a note. You know, it is, it has value behind it. <laughs> so the idea of being wrong or right is just based on what two people are going to agree upon it to be right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. It's just what allows us to be the vehicle of, of change. You know, even, even I, I love what you're talking about with, with, um, you know, the, it is the evolution. Um, it made me think like currency is even evolving. Like we're looking at, at money and even seeing that kind of shifting with Bitcoin and things like that of like it needing to evolve to a different source because um, its valuation is even going down because of other things that is out of our control. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, but yeah, like the evolution, what is right or wrong? Um, it's just based on what people at that moment are going to say is right or wrong, but there is no right or wrong. It's just what allows us to kind of get by <laughs> to get, in my opinion. Um, hello, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, 
circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.